Hey, good morning. My name is Brian, and uh, I'm staff here at Highland Park, and so glad to get to open up God's Word with you today. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. In your, uh, in your bulletin, there's a sermon page. You may want to uh, take some notes there. Um, also, just a little bit of housekeeping. We've been doing this every Sunday. We're going to do this again, but there are these little yellow sticky notes, and there should be a stack of them uh, in each row, either at the end, one end or the other, and everybody's going to need a sticky note later on, and so uh, if you guys can just kind of pass those and make sure everybody's got one, and just make sure you don't remove all of the stickiness before later, because you're going to actually stick it to something later on, and so uh, that's just going to be part of that. Uh, if you would like to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 here in just a little while. Uh, we'll be studying that passage, and so if you want to go ahead and turn that way, you can do that. So we've been in this series called... Um, decluttering your soul, and we have identified the biblical definition of soul is really just a person. It's all of you. It includes your, your spirit, your will, and the Holy Spirit comes into our inmost being. It includes your thoughts and your emotions, and that's kind of that next layer. It includes your body physically. We recognize that uh, that is kind of the vessel for all of this stuff happening and, and that we do. And then your relationships uh, impact who you are as a person. In fact, next week, that's our topic is decluttering our friendships. And then all of this just kind of packed up into this thing we call the soul. Your soul is all of you. And so today, we want to talk about this one thing that can really clutter things up for our entire soul, and that's our calendars. And so just as a way to kind of introduce this topic and hopefully get you to buy into really thinking, man, we need to, to think about this, let me just read this quote from Bob Goff. He says, the battles for our hearts are fought on the pages of our calendars. Anybody have a fight going on in your calendar right now? And does your calendar demonstrate what you really desire your life to be? And I want to take a wild guess and say that, yes, it actually does. It may not be what you want it to be with your mind, it may not be what your body tells you it ought to be, but our calendars at some point end up reflecting our inmost desires and motivations. But sometimes not everything within us lines up correctly. And we want to do one thing, but we end up doing something different. And there's this frustration, and that's when we end up with this unhealthy soul, this soul that's out of balance. And so today we want to talk about three times in which Jesus would just stop. And he would schedule time for it. He would uh, uh, create time for it. He would make sure that nothing got in the way. And sometimes he would even interrupt other things in order to do these things. Because I think if Jesus did these things with his calendar, we ought to do the same. And, and there's probably a few more things that we can think about. But uh, imagine a table here. And like we've been doing every week, I don't want to just tell you a whole bunch of things to cut out of your schedule. Because that would be a really long sermon. Instead, I want to, let's talk about what are the things that we need. And imagine this table, and you only have space for so much stuff. And if you had 100 boxes, they're not all going to fit, and they're going to be following, falling over, and you're going to be frustrated, especially if you've got all of these things on your calendar, and yet you still have over here time with God, time with family. And you're like, there's no place for it, and it's all going to topple over. So let's talk about the things that we, we know we need time for them, 
And then that will determine whether we have space for the other things in our life. We're going to kind of go at it that direction. And then we'll have some application that I want to spend some time with later. But the first thing that I just want to mention that I see Jesus doing is that Jesus would stop to think. I don't know if you've really pondered that a whole lot, but that word ponder, Jesus' mom was famous for. Mary pondered these things in her heart. That's during the nativity story. And I think Jesus took after his mom in pondering. And the reason we know that Jesus spent lots of time thinking was because what happened when he opened his mouth? Something like this would come out. The kingdom of heaven is like a sower who goes out to a field. Is that how you start your conversations? Or when somebody says, well, you know, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, so there's this guy walking down the road. And he gets beat up by these robbers. And he's laying there. He's about to die. And the people who look like you, who act like you, they walked right by him. But then the Samaritan, everybody, you Jews, you don't like the Samaritans. The Samaritan came and he helped him. Who's the guy's neighbor? Do you answer questions that way? But as we read the Gospels, Jesus, when he spoke, you could tell it came out of a very deep well. I mean, you know when you're making something up or anybody ever written a paper for school in which you didn't really read the book or you did not really study and you know while you're typing it, you're like, oh man, this is bad. It's really shallow. And sometimes that just kind of becomes our life when we don't have any deep thinking and time for God to place his wisdom into our minds. Jesus, we see this life of curiosity and thinking and asking question after question after question and making other people think. And I'm reminded of the Proverbs 20 verse 5 that says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Paul wrote, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, it's this deep, rich, beautiful thinking that we need to have time for. And if you're like me, and sometimes things get busy, you don't, you don't get up and, and write down, today I will not think. I'll just run around and do everything. You know, we don't write that down, but that's what our days become. And if you could just kind of go back to times in your life where you had great ideas, where you thought, ah, oh, I should try this with my kids at home. This might be a good parenting idea. Or, whoa, the, the ministry team I'm a part of, we would be a lot better if we did this. Or, man, here's, this, here's the way that our work could be better. You have those ideas when you have time to think, to process. Sometimes you might have a job that lets you do that a lot, and other times you may not at all. I know sometimes my best thinking comes when I mow my yard. Why? Because there's, because there's nothing else to distract me right? I'm just going back and forth and back. And, and I realize in that moment, suddenly my mind has margin to think. And Jesus would think, and as Christians, we need to be deep thinkers uh, so that, that, that Christ's word really can be in us richly. The second thing that I see Jesus just, he would stop all kinds of things to do this is that Jesus would stop to care for people. So we need to be able to stop to care for people as well. In Luke chapter 18, 
Uh, Jesus is on this mission. He's heading to Jerusalem. His disciples are with him. And not only that, but crowds of people have kind of come alongside. So it's like this parade headed towards Jerusalem. There's all this noise, all this activity. And this guy named Bartimaeus, who's blind, along with his friend, who's also blind, are sitting by the side of the road. And they say, Jesus, have mercy on us. Come help us. And the people nearby were like, shh, be quiet. Jesus has places to go. He doesn't have time for you. Just be quiet. But Jesus hears the guys, and he says, whoa, stop everything. And he stops his walking. He stops the mission he's on. He stops, and he turns, and Bartimaeus leaves everything, and he runs up to him, and Jesus asks him this, what can I do for you? What a question to get from Jesus. And, And Bartimaeus and his friends say, well, We'd like to see. And Jesus says, it's done. And they can see. And everything changes. And this is not unusual in Jesus' life. We see Jesus uh, one time going to do a miracle, and he stops because another miracle needed to happen on the way. One time Jesus is preaching, and we can always assume it's a fantastic sermon. And right in the middle of the sermon, uh, some guys have this friend who needs healing and they, they, they can't get inside because it's too packed and they lower this guy down in the middle of the sermon from the ceiling and Jesus stops his fantastic sermon to take care of this man. See, Jesus was willing to stop what he was doing to care for people. And I just want to ask you, is there enough margin on your calendar that you can stop and help someone? Or are other things way more important and we never have time to stop and care for someone. And Jesus always did, and it was amazing. And it was just normal. Kim Fook was photographed in what is maybe the most, one of the most famous photographs of all time because it was pivotal during the Vietnam War, in fact, kind of turning public opinion. She was a little girl who, like others from her village, were running because the village had just been bombed and her clothes had literally been burned off her body. And she's running, her back is still sizzling, and just in absolute terror. And Kim, uh, as she's running from her village, this photographer takes this picture, and sometimes we wonder, well, what was the rest of the story? And my friend Barbara from here at church gave me an article that had the rest of the story. She knew I had interest in this account. And the rest of the story is the man who took that picture then stopped and picked her up, put her in his Jeep, and drove her to a hospital, and some excellent surgeon saved her life. She would have died without great care. But it was surgery after surgery, and it introduced her to a life of pain the rest of her life from the burns and the damage that was done. And she was pretty bitter about that, but she turned to kind of a a cultish Eastern religion that was a mix of several things, But life did not get better, and she decided that if there was one thing she could do, she wanted to be a doctor so she could help little children like the doctors had helped her. And she just finished high school, and she was taking her college entrance exam when people barged into the classroom, and they said, are you Kim? And she said, yes, and they said, let us see your arms. And she showed her arms where there were scars, and they said, oh, this is good news. And they whisked her away, and that began a time in her life where she was forced by government officials to tell her story, but to frame it in a way that always made the communists look good. 
because they knew this could be powerful propaganda for them. And so now her life had gone from not only physically painful to being forced to do stuff, and she couldn't continue her education, and she hated her life. And then one day, she was in a local library, and she meandered over to a different section, and she found a New Testament, and she began reading, and everything about Jesus was different than any of the other religions she had studied. And she said, this is different. This, this isn't normal. And she knew that she had a relative who was a Christian, and she went and found him, and she began grilling him with questions of why would God let this happen, and could Jesus really have lived? Is this really true? And he was able to just answer with love everything, and she went to church the next Sunday, and she was completely terrified to walk into this little Christian church, but she walked in 30 minutes early. There was another lady who was already there before her even, before things had started, and the lady motioned for her, invited her to sit down, And she sat down next to her, and this lady just listened to her and cared for her. This lady was there early to pray for her ailing mother. But she stopped, and she just talked to Kim. And this lady became one of the most important people in Kim's life. And week after week, she would come early and talk with this lady who told her about Jesus and how to pray and how much God loved her and God had a story for her. And soon, Kim committed her life to Jesus, and she ended up getting married married a wonderful man, and finally she was able to quit doing, working for the government and to continue her education, and um, that was happening in Cuba, but when she got married, they were able to take a honeymoon to Russia, and on the way back, the plane stopped in Canada to refuel, and when it did, she and her husband walked off the plane and out of the airport, never to return, and they entered Canada as refugees, but some Christian people found out about them and began taking care of them and loving them and found a place for them. And soon, um, they had a family. And one of the ladies who had become a friend of her knew she, one thing that Kim had not done was tell her story again, because she hated that photograph. And she said, Kim, at some point you need to tell your story, because it's God's story. And Kim prayed and wrestled with this. And when the time was right, she said, yeah, I do think I want to tell my story. And Fast forward many years, and Kim has had this beautiful ministry in her life where she tells how God saved her. And now Kim says, I'm thankful for that photograph because it reminds me of God's work in my life. And if you were just to kind of outline Kim's story, there would be a whole bunch of things, some excellent surgeons. But you would certainly have to draw a big circle around a woman at a little church who said, come sit by me, and was her friend. A woman who actually stopped praying to care for this woman. Now, there's some balance with that thing I just said. We'll come back to that. But there's also a a, a woman in Canada who was caring for refugees. And sometimes in our lives, even though we think we know what we're supposed to do that day, we just need to stop and care for somebody, because we never know the difference that that is going to make. Hoarding your time is every bit as ugly as hoarding your stuff, because both just end up as useless junk. So don't hoard your stuff, and don't hoard your time, but be quick to give it away to care for other people. Jesus would stop for many things, and the, the third thing is that Jesus would stop to replenish. And another way to say that is Jesus would stop to Sabbath, to rest 
in God. God, when he created us, knew that we would need times to rest in him. It's different than just being lazy, but to rest in him so that God could fill us up. And that's talking about our entire soul. He could fill us up and restore us physically and emotionally, intellectually and spiritually. And when we don't replenish, we end up in a really bad place. John Ortberg, who wrote the book uh, Soul Keeping, that I would really recommend if you're interested in this topic, uh, was at a place where he was completely depleted. And he went to somebody who was one of the experts in the country in taking care of your soul. His name was Dallas Willard. And he had his notebook, and he, he made his way to, to Dallas Willard's house, which is a very unassuming, small little house. And Dallas moves at a very, very slow pace. And uh, he said, okay, Mr. Willard, what do I need to do to kind of replenish my soul and restore my soul? And he opened his notepad, and he had his pen ready to make this big list. And Willard turned to him and said, stop doing some stuff. Okay. He wrote it down. What next? Willard said, that's all. Just stop doing some stuff. Come, come on. Give me. Just stop doing. Just start with that, and then we'll work our way from there. He was serious. He knew that Ortberg was overcooked and overbooked in every way, and there wasn't any place in his life for anything else. He just said, just stop doing some stuff. Just Sabbath. Just rest. Let God replenish you. It's just not, not you that replenish yourself. God replenishes us. Jesus had this habit of stopping. There's a story in Mark 1 where in the midst of all of these needs at this town, the disciples are being like, where's Jesus this morning? There's all these people who need healed. Where's Jesus? These people who are sick, where's Jesus? You know where Jesus was? He had stopped the healing and the caring for people for a little while, and he was up on a mountain by himself praying. So there's this balance to this caring and this replenishing. It's this tension in life that we kind of live with. And all I want to say is, if you don't feel the tension, there might be a problem. If you're just one way or the other, then maybe you need to, to think about your calendar just a little bit. So that brings us to Luke chapter 10, verse 38, in this important story that teaches us about how to replenish. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So I guess when the Son of God is coming to your house, you'd like to have a clean and a nice dinner made, right? Martha is feeling the pressure, and she's in there scurrying, and Jesus comes, and Mary, Martha's sister, comes and sits at Jesus' feet. Do you know who sits at Jesus' feet? Think about Hebrew culture in Jesus' day. Only disciples could sit at the feet of the teacher. See, there's something in this moment where Jesus is affirming women of, I care for you too. You can sit 
and learn from me. And on a day after women marched from many different things, let me remind you that no one has ever raised the dignity of women higher than the person of Jesus. I believe that. He cares for all people. And, and Jesus is speaking and he says, Mary's doing the best thing here. She's sitting. She's being replenished. Meanwhile, Martha is in the kitchen, and I imagine her frustration level growing and growing and growing, and she needs more help in there, and so she's banging the pans together really loud, and she's doing all she can to send little signals, and she maybe even, you know, glares out every once in a while, and finally it just explodes, and she goes out, and I see her finger going at Jesus and at Mary, and Martha says, don't you care? The word is actually, she, she's abandoned me. Well, that's a bit much, Martha. But she's so mad. She's so frustrated. And I love that Jesus says her name twice. I'm not sure exactly how it was, if it was just Martha, 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 Martha. Or if it was Martha, Martha. I, I'm sure there was a smile on his face. Maybe him even putting his hands on her shoulders. said, Martha, take it easy. There's some important things in life, and Mary has chosen what's most important. It's okay. And I imagine beyond that, Jesus thinking, you know I eat anything. I'm okay. It's all right. Take the stress off. And the text says that Martha was worried and upset about many things. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Worried and upset about many things? You see, the opposite of Martha's busyness is not laziness, it's wisdom. I'm sorry, Mary's, uh, Martha being busy, Mary being not lazy, but wise. Mary was wise. And there's a difference there. Paul Cunningham writes, uh, he says there's this phrase that we misuse all the time, and I'm guilty of it. I misuse it a lot. He says the phrase is this, I need to make some time. Because only one person has ever made time. That was God. We can't make time. We keep thinking that we can. We're like, man, if I could just get one more hour in my day. Well, it's pretty much been 24 hours for a long time. That's probably not going to change in 2018. We're probably still stuck with our 24. So what are we going to do about that? We can't make time, but we can set time aside and say, I mark this time for this. There's this tension with, yeah, but different people need me, and I need to replenish, and how do I navigate all of that? And I just want to tell you, like, I'm not exactly sure. I haven't perfected that yet. I think God comes to us with lots of grace, and I think God has given you enough time to do everything that he's asked of you to do. And if you're like my wife, and today the time is stay at home with a sick kid, that's what God has for her today. She needs to not fret anything else. If your time is, here's, what you, here's where you are today, just be okay with that. Because God's not going to demand more of you than what he expects of you and, and what he's given to you. He's given you enough time. I love what Augustine said. It kind of brings some clarity to how do we navigate this, like I know I need to replenish. I need to be away. But I know I need to care for people too. And here's what he said. No man has a right to lead such a life of contemplation as to forget in his own ease the service due his neighbor, 
Nor has any man a right to be so immersed in active life as to neglect the contemplation of God. Let me just talk to our volunteers for one second. We try to remind you of this. We believe God created every human being to serve. And we know that if you are not serving in some way, in some capacity, what God's plans are for this world, you are missing out on who God created you to be. So we want everybody at some point to be able to serve. But volunteers, you also need to replenish. And you also need to have the wisdom to know of, I'm actually not going to sign up for and say, I can also do this when I'm already doing this, this, and this, and serving in these ways, because I also need to replenish. Now, that's a tough balance, and that's weird for a preacher to even suggest. But we're, we're concerned more for your soul than that you sign up for one more task. We want you to serve and be made whole and fulfilled and when you serve, but we also want you to be made whole and fulfilled in replenishing and being times where you can sit and be you and replenish and study and pray and sing it's why we like to have schedules of people who are even on the stage and doing different things and working in the downstairs with the kids and with the students. We like to have rotations so that people, if we all serve, that means everyone can also have a break and be replenished. Scheduling is a heart issue, and we've done a challenge uh, every week, and we're going to do that again today. And so here's how this works. There's a declutter challenge that we ask everybody to keep. And we think this will be healthy for your soul. We really do. And healthy for our world because of it. So here's the declutter challenge. And then I'll get to a couple little optional things that you can do that would kind of come alongside it. But here's the challenge for today that I want to ask everybody to do this week. I want you to audit your schedule. I want you to be a little guy in a suit and tie with a briefcase who walks into your calendar and takes a look. All right? You're going to do a full audit. And I've got some help for you on the back of the sermon page. I, I typed up this little schedule audit, and this isn't perfect, and you may need to redo one that works better for you, but I, there's 168 hours in a week, and when you do this little audit and try to figure out where you're spending your time, um, you may not fill it all up, and that's probably a good thing. But I want you just to go back on this last week. If this last week was anything close to a typical week in your life, I want you to audit this last week. Here's what cheating would be. Cheating would be, auditing how you think you'll spend your next week. That's cheating. That's not reality. Let's deal with reality. So let's audit this past week as best we can, okay? And if you need to go back two weeks or take some guesses, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't fret it. But you're just going to go through and think, okay, here's this category of health. How much time did I spend sleeping this past week? Eating, exercising, and go down to worship, how much time did I spend in personal prayer and study and reading? What about corporate worship? You're spending an hour right here. What about small group or class? And, and I should have added volunteering for that. I put that down lower. That was a typo. But there's other things, uh, friends and family, work or school. Especially if you work, it might be interesting to write, here's, the thing, here's how much time I spend typically doing stuff I enjoy, and here's how much time I spend doing stuff I don't enjoy at work. And maybe you could even change that a little bit by your attitude, maybe by shifting a few things around. I don't know. Um, but what I want you to do is that's part one of the challenge. Go through it, audit your schedule, but then you're not done. You have to take that audit and hand it to a friend or a family member or a small group and say, okay, look this over and tell me what you think. 
let me have it, okay? And then that person needs to be honest with you and say, well, let's see here. You only slept 30 hours this week? That's not good. You really need more than that. What's going on? And maybe they'll say, well, let's see here. I see that your hobbies aren't being ignored, um, <laughs> um, but um, you're, and then let's see something else. You need someone to be honest with you, and you need to not be all defensive about it, so find someone that you won't be defensive with, and just say, hey, let's talk about this together, and then you can come up with, like, here's what I think a healthier week would look like for me, and your schedule starts to take shape, and then you go through and figure it out, okay, here's how I want to make that happen. I'm kind of a believer in scheduling out most of my week as best I can, kind of in big chunks, but to schedule it out. Um, I put family time on my calendar so that when someone says, hey, um, can you do this? Be like, hmm, I can't, but something's on the calendar. I'm sorry. Sometimes that gets interrupted, and I run to the hospital to see someone or I meet with a friend. I, there's some exceptions, but I want to have some things on my calendar to what's important in my life. And if I did this and, you know, I got, for work, I got 50 hours. Okay, sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. I got my family time. I've got this time. And, and, and I want to find a place that I feel like is healthy. And I talk about that with my wife. And you need to talk about that with family and friends, okay? So I want you to audit your schedule and get some input. That's the big challenge. There's a couple of little things that might come alongside, and when you hear them, you may not think they're little. Here's number one, and this is for you who are late. This is for you who have just now sat down and are just now opening your Bibles. Welcome. Um, this is for you who drive way too fast because you're always stressed out, and it makes you yell at the other people driving, makes you yell at yellow and red lights. Well, you don't yell at yellow lights. You run right through them, but you're yelling at red lights. Um, you're stressed out. People are frustrated with you because you're always late, okay? So this one's for you especially, but this is, I, this is good for anybody. I don't know anybody who I've talked to who said, man, I am just reading too many good books. Everybody's like, yeah, I need to spend some more time reading because you know it's good for your soul. Good books are good for your soul, and they probably help you sleep better. And so uh, here's, here's a little challenge that you can take. This one's optional. I've been doing this for several months, and it's been awesome. I love it. Any appointment that you can control at all, you have to get there 10 minutes early with a book, and you read until the people get there. It's the coolest thing. Like, you get free reading time every day that you have an appointment. I know that, you, that sometimes you're going from one meeting to another, or you're dropping a kid off here, and you got to be at work, and that's fine. You can't control that. But if you have a lunch meeting, or you're meeting a friend for coffee, or you have a whatever, get there 10 minutes early with a good book. Ortberg's Soul Keeping would be a great place to start. Get there, read for 10 minutes. Guess what happens? If you get there three minutes late, you're seven minutes early with seven minutes of extra reading time. It's awesome. It's really good. So that's one that some of you may want to consider that, especially if you're late everywhere. That's just kind of a fun one to try. Here's a second one. Cut out all social media and or TV for the week. Ooh. Okay, and here's the thing. If the person next to you made an audible noise they have to do this, okay? Here, for, I know, like, here's what I was thinking about. I was talking about this with a friend this week. We were talking about this challenge. Like, we knew this one would freak some people out. And if it freaks you out, then you need to ask why. I can only think of one good reason. 
you're addicted. Did I say that? Right? You know, if you freak out to the point of like saying, you can't eat or drink for the next week, we would get kind of nervous, okay? You don't have to do that. Some people have fasted like that. But I want you to think, why, am, why does that seem like such a big deal? And it's because it's become a big deal in your life. Or you know how hard it is to go even an hour without something. And so if this is you, I dare you to take this challenge for a week and see what happens. I really would like to know about it. I'd love for you to take this challenge and just to let us know. And maybe for you, maybe it needs to be three days because you already have some stuff set up. Or maybe, maybe social media is part of your job, and I get it, so that's not going to be you. But what I don't want you to do is like say, okay, I'm not doing social media, but I am going to binge on Netflix for 20 hours over the next three days. Okay, we don't want to just replace it with one other. We want to replace it with something that replenishes us, like fills up our soul physically, emotionally, spiritually. So there could be some, lots of other ideas here. These are just two to kind of get you going. So what we're going to do is what we've been doing is I'm going to give you about one minute to just pray and to think. And if there's one of these challenges or there's something else that's related to it that God puts on your mind, I want you to write that down so that you'll remember it. And I also want you to write it down on one of those sticky notes, and you're going to stick it on that chalkboard out there, because at the end of five weeks, we're going to look at all the things in our life that got decluttered and how that changed us. And so uh, you're just going to have the next minute to kind of think and pray of a plan for that. So go ahead and begin that. God tells us in the book of Ephesians to make the most of every opportunity. And um, that's why I'm asking you to lean into this. Like when we have these little moments and we have an opportunity to change something in our life, to honor God, that's a good thing. And, and I hope that you'll lean into that and follow that commitment. And making the most of every opportunity, um, sometimes it's just doing the next right thing like right in front of you. And 
the most right thing that you could ever do is to do what Kim did many years ago and to do what many of you have done, and that's to say, yes, Jesus, I, I repent of my sinful life and to be baptized into our old life and come up brand new. And if that's the next right decision for you, we would love to talk to you about that, to pray with you about that. And, and here's how that can work even over this, during this next song we're going to sing. If you would like to come and just pray with somebody and talk to somebody right now, you can come up during uh, this next song up to the front row. Uh, and we'll have some folks here that would love to visit and pray with you. And if you would like to privately study with someone later, then just mark that on, on your little communication card that you would like to meet with somebody. We'll meet with you this week and just study the Bible about what it means to follow Jesus. And um, if you would, would you, would you stand up and let me uh, pray for us? God, we, we thank you that you made the most of your time. And you made time to, to drop all that you had so that you could give us life. And we see how in Jesus you cared for people like us and you stopped everything to care for people and to love them and yet you balanced that with being replenished. And so God, we... Uh, we want to honor you with our calendars, and sometimes they just feel completely out of control, and we feel like they've been sabotaged and hijacked from somebody else. And so, God, please, we want our, our whole soul to honor you and to be at peace with who you've made us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.